Galatians chapter 5. And if you do not have these two verses, of course, no scripture stands by itself. It is in a context, uh, and we tried to cover that last Sunday night. The fruit of the Spirit is in direct contrast with the works of the flesh. Fruit is something that is grown. Fruit is the natural result. Uh, If you have a healthy tree, let's say a healthy peach tree, you're going to get peaches. It is just going to happen. And if the Holy Spirit of God is working in your life, if he has freedom, and by the way, can the Holy Spirit work in your life if he does not have freedom? And there's uh, just a point that we probably ought to chase down just for a moment here. There is a new definition of Christianity or being saved. Uh, And the reason I say new is not because it is new uh, necessarily in time. It's as old as man is and the scriptures, but it is new to the Bible. The Bible has nothing to do with a type of Christianity that does not produce change, that does not do something in the life of the believer. Uh, The Bible talks about those that... Believe in God, but they deny the power thereof. If God really took up residence in your apartment, if Jesus moved in for a week, let me ask you a question. Would things change? Now, if you are saved, the Holy Spirit of God resides in your soul. You know, the real answer to that question ought to be no, because I'm already under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God and doing what I'm supposed to do. Amen? But it doesn't always work that way, does it? It's easy to lose sight of what we cannot see on a daily basis. And if you've ever grown fruit... It's hard to wait until it gets ripe. I've often talked to, every time I think of the fruit, I think of the peach trees we had in our yard as a kid. And and I talk about that a lot. And I somehow wish, if there was any way, just to go back and get some of those peaches. Uh, They probably won't be as good as I remember. You know why? Because we always remember things either better or worse than they were. We never do. Our rememberer is not exactly an accurate gauge of things. But uh, I'll tell you, if they could only be half as good as I remember, they'd still be better than anything you buy on 30th Avenue. And uh, But the simple truth of the matter is, I would see those little green fuzzy peaches start to grow on the tree toward the end of May, the 1st of June, and it seemed like it took forever. And I would go out there almost every day, late in July, early in August, and start squeezing the peaches on the tree because they weren't ripe until they started to soften up. Now, if you squeeze an unripe peach hard enough, it'll soften up. But it won't taste good. You've got to wait 
until it reaches its full ripeness. The sweetness comes in the last couple of weeks on the tree. That's why I don't like what you buy in the store because they pick it when it is unripe and they put it in the crate and it has to ripen in the crate to getting here because if they waited until it was fully ripe, by the time it got to the store, it would no longer be fit to eat. It would be rotten. And so let's not buy the fruit, my friend. Let's let the Holy Spirit grow it in our lives. That's what the idea of the fruit of the Spirit, when God paints a word picture, He he wants us to learn some things from that. And the first one in the list, but the fruit of the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, if He is producing, if there is a healthy tree of the Holy Spirit in your life, the first thing that He's going to produce is love. Now, there's been an awful lot said about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, don't believe everything you hear. Just believe what the Bible says. One commentator wrote, well, actually, there should be love, and then all of the other fruits of the Spirit are part of love. Well, there, there is a little overlap in love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and All of these uh, nine items that are listed here. But if they were all saying the same thing, we would be either in the book of Psalms or we need to get a new dictionary. Amen? Because there are different words. And last time I checked, words mean something. Unless you're a politician. Uh, Or... Unless you don't want them to mean something. It was like the uh, accountant was asking, uh, what they were talking, and he says, well, what do you want the numbers to add up to? And uh, that's not the way it's supposed to work now, is it? Uh, numbers are supposed to give you an exact answer. And words are supposed to have specific meaning. And so when we read through this list, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You know what our first desire is to do? Is to pick one or two out of the list and make them our favorite. Is to say, well, I'll just work on that first one. Does anybody here remember the silly little song they used to do in the 70s? What the world needs more is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. Uh, The only problem is if you presented the writers of that song with true love, they would reject it. How many know what verse I'm going to go to first when we talk about love? God is... What? God is love. If you want love in your life, get God in there first. Now, Joseph, you sit down beside Miss Carmen and be still. 
right now. Thank you. Sorry about that. If you want love in your life, you've got to have God in your life. What happens when you get saved? The Holy Spirit of God, read John chapters 15, 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples, listen, I've got to go to the cross I've got to be buried. I've got to rise again from the dead. I must ascend into heaven because that is God's plan. But I'm going to send you the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, who's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to reprove the world of righteousness. Have you ever wondered why not every day is 9-11? Let me tell you. There are people in this world that want to turn every day into another 9-11. They're trying awful hard. I'm glad that our government doesn't tell us everything they know. Last I heard, there was, uh, in the Bush administration alone, there was well over 200 serious terrorist threats that were stopped before any Americans died. Now stop and think about that. I mean, we live in New York City. How many of you remember the day of, of terror that they were planning to set off bombs in the Lincoln and the Holland tunnels and Jewish synagogues and the courthouses? And, and by the way, the Stars of David are still on this ex-synagogue. I don't know that uh, they didn't target us, but uh, certainly uh, that is an invitation. Uh, and we're not going to worry about it. What we're going to do is we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers hinders the work of the devil. Amen. And this world is full of hate, is it not? But I want you to stop and think about what the world would be if the Holy Spirit were not growing love in the lives of believers. Amen? Could you imagine how horrible this world would be if there were no Christians here meeting together such as we are in churches all over this country, yea, all over this world, preaching and teaching about the love of God and what God's love does in our lives? How do we get this love to grow in our lives? Well, number one, we love Him because why? He first loved us. God wants to put His personal presence in our lives because you and I, if we're going to be honest... We are not lovely creatures. In case you have any questions about that, I don't recommend that you do this, but uh, just look up on some website, Hollywood Celebrities Without Makeup On. You talk about ugly. Not that I've actually done that, but I, I think there was... Some newspaper, uh, it was 
checking the news and it had some picture of some supposed Hollywood beauty without the makeup on. And it was like, who's that? There's nobody special there to look like everybody else. You know, you can do an awful lot to enhance what is there. But if somebody only cares about you or looks at you because of what you do, is that love? I remember one night flipping through the radio stations, and I am by no means uh, a fan of Frank Sinatra, never have been. By God's grace, unless I get Alzheimer's and all kinds of other diseases, never will be. He was a very wicked man. But they begin to tell the story late in his life. You see, Frank Sinatra had something in him. He needed the adoration of the crowd. And they told the story of him singing a song, which most of his singing was under the influence of something or other. But he forgot the words. And here he was, standing on the stage, staring at the audience. And all of a sudden, someone in the audience realized what was going on. It was just a few moments. And this was like his last performance, began singing the words back so that Mr. Sinatra could hear the words. And something clicked, and he began singing, and the whole crowd, and the way it was described was this was a love fest between the audience and Frank Sinatra, and how he needed that, and he was supposed to leave you with this warm, mushy-gushy feeling inside. But what I get out of that is a strange, perverted old man that had to have people worshiping him in order for him to feel good about himself. Now, doesn't that paint a little more realistic picture? It's a very dark picture, let me tell you. But that's the love that the world has. The, wor the love that the world has always demands something in exchange. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love came to us at a time when we as human beings, sinful human beings, we were not programmed, but the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that every one of us has rejected God's love and therefore we're in need of salvation. And if we're going to accept that salvation, we must come to God as a broken, defeated, lost, hell-bound for all eternity sinner in the presence of a holy, pure, righteous, and ever-loving God. Do you get the picture there? Sometimes we do things we're ashamed of. We hurt people that we love very much. 
And one of the most difficult things in the world is to approach that person whom we've injured with our sin, with our wrong decisions, and ask their forgiveness. You know why it's hard to do that? Because it requires humility. Now, that's how you get saved, my friend. We're not working out an exchange deal with God. If you give me heaven, I'll give you this. Because the only thing you can give God is a worthless life. But if you'll give it to Him, He'll make something out of it. The true motivation of the Christian life, the reason why we fail so often in what we do is because we are not motivated by true love. We're motivated by some sense of trying to repay God or some sense of trying to do something to earn God's favor. How in the world can you earn God's favor when He already loved you enough to give His own Son to pay the price for your sins? The point I want to make here is Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. You see, love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God abiding in your life. That needs to be nurtured. It needs to grow. And receiving God's love into our life is what happens at salvation. If we allow that love to grow and produce something, it's going to make us love others. When is the last time you really tried to care about somebody else? You know what most of the time happens when we try to care about somebody else? Parents often do this with their children. And sometimes I have to discipline my children in church. But one thing I want all of my children to understand. I don't want them to be good just so people will think good things about dad and mom. Do you get that? Don't do that to your kids. It'll destroy them. I want my children to do right because it is the best thing for them. You see, that's the difference between love and affection or anything else that is out there. When two people get married, you know what the easiest thing to do is? Well, I have needs. And you have needs. And let's see how our needs come together. And if you meet my needs, I'll meet your needs. That's not love. That's a contract. And it won't be long before one of you breaks the contract. Remember the old preacher B.R. Lakin? 
he told the story of working out a deal with his wife. This was back in the 40s or 50s, I don't know when, but when men always wore top hats and coats and not top hats, but hats. And he'd say, now, honey, if I'm having a tough day, I'll come home and I'll have my hat cocked off to the side. And then you'll know without me saying a word that I've had a really rough day and you need to treat me very kindly and help me through it. And if you have a rough day, what I want you to do is take the corner of your apron and tuck it in your waistband. And so if I come home and see the corner of your apron up, I'll know that you've had a terrible day and it's my turn to uh, treat you with kid gloves and help you through this frustrating situation. He said, and it worked great. Until one day I came home with the cocked hat to find the apron tied up. You see, we don't love people. True love is not done expecting to get something in return. True love is something that God has given us because we're sinners and we can't do anything about ourselves. But if you receive God's love and let it grow in your life, what's going to happen? You're going to have to pass that on to somebody else. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The problem is, if you spend your whole life just sucking it in and trying to get more and more and more, you're never going to have anything to give. I don't know if this story is true or not, but one preacher told the story of a lady in the church that would run down the aisle every Sunday morning saying, Fill my cup, Lord! Fill my cup, Lord! And he said after five or six weeks, the preacher got a little sick of that and said, Don't do it, Lord! It leaks! Uh, the problem is you got to seal up. It's God is not here to meet your need. God is here to change your life. You see, we're not smart enough to even know what our true needs are. When is the last time you woke up in the morning and worried and, I mean, was absolutely concerned over some wrong words or wrong treatment of another human being? But people wake up in the middle of the night worried about their money all the time now, don't they? People wake up in the middle of the night worried about all kinds of things. But your sin between you and God is a far greater issue than anything else you could ever imagine. And we leave it unconfessed and we leave it festering in our life. Love. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments and hereby let's go to first john chapter five we'll try to finish up here in just a few minutes how could you spend we could spend the next sunday nights till jesus comes back just trying to talk about love verse three of first john chapter five says 
For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. But did you read chapter, I mean, verse 2 of the same chapter? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. You see, loving another human being is not just having warm feelings for that person or affection in that person's direction. True love is keeping God's commandments in my life. As I keep God's commandments in my life, guess what I'm going to do? I don't have any choice. This is what we're talking about, fruit. It's a natural result. It's not something feigned. Have you ever met somebody that was just trying to make you believe that they really cared about you? Oh, we're just so glad you're here and we just want to make you feel loved. And Oh man, I, I, I always get nervous when I hear stuff like that. It's just me. I guess I've been in New York City too long. I don't take things at, at face value when somebody starts telling me uh, a line from Shakespeare comes to mind. Me thinks the lady doth protest too much. If you have to spend so much time telling me about how much you love me, it's because you really don't and you're trying to convince yourself. I'm a little nervous about that. But there have been many places and many people and many times where God's love was there, and you just knew it. You didn't even have to talk about it. Amen? That's the fruit. You can't rush the fruit. Let's just back up if you're still in 1 John chapter 5 to 1 John chapter 4. Just touch on one more thing here. Verse 17 it says, herein is our, chapter 4, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, this is a verse that a lot of commentators, a lot of people just want to skip over, because it's a hard verse. Our love is made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, just a minute, that love is the presence of God in us. How is it made perfect? It's when what goes on in our heart matches what goes on in God's heart. Amen? And when I am doing with my life what God wants me to do with my life, am I not going to be ready or have boldness in the day of judgment because... Excuse me, I am no longer in the dark as to what my life and my mission and my purpose is about. I'm not sitting in the classroom asking questions if the tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it. Does it make any noise? Who cares? If the tree falls in the forest and I'm not underneath it, that's all I care about. Amen? The simple truth is, if I am meeting other people in this life. I have an opportunity to share with them the love that God has put in me. You go on. How many people's lives are governed by fear? Love gets rid of fear. 
not afraid of rejection by a human being if I have acceptation by the God of heaven. Does that make sense? Are we still together there? But fruit takes time. It's a work that the Holy Spirit will do as long as we do not hinder His work in our lives. Love is not just the first in the list because it's the most important or anything else. You've got to start somewhere. And until you accept God's love in your heart, you will have none to share with anybody else. I've had people, and I'll end with this. Years ago, my wife and I were first married. We were given a visit to make from Cleveland Baptist Church, and so we drove over to the apartment, knocked on the door, and they were there, a young couple. And uh, I said, hello, my name's Pete Montour. I'm from Cleveland Baptist Church. And he says, you're kind of new there, aren't you? I said, well, yes, uh, my wife and I are just married. Uh, just, uh, actually, I've been a member for a couple years, but I was traveling with uh, an evangelist. And this is really our first couple of weeks to be in the church every week. And, and he says, yeah, I'm a graduate of Her- Heritage Christian School. I said, well, why aren't you in church? Why am I over here visiting you? You should know better than that. And uh, he kind of looked at me cross-eyed. He said, I just, I'm on outs with uh, Brother Folger over there. And I said, well, what's the problem? He says, do you know that he had the audacity to tell me that I didn't love my wife? And I'm sitting here going, now why would he tell you that? Well, just because she's not saved and we wanted to get married, he said, because I didn't take time for her to get saved, that I didn't love her. And I love my wife. Don't I love you, honey? And she looked over and smiled. And, and I'm sitting here going, something's wrong with this picture. And I said, well, how long have you been married? Oh, a couple of years. And, and we, we're just enjoying our marriage and we're having a great time. And... And I said, would you mind if I just ask your wife a question? He said, sure. I said, do you know if you're going to heaven when you die? And it got real serious and she just looked at me and said, no, I don't. And I looked at him and I said, you never told her? I said, would you mind if we took some time and, and opened the Bible and showed uh, your wife how she could know for sure she was going to heaven? I want to challenge you to live with another human being and claim to have affection for them and let them die and go to hell in your very presence. I'm on Pastor Folger's side. He didn't love her. Would you agree with me on that? You see, real love, God's love, only wants what's best for another human being. And God's love demands that you be able to look in the mirror and identify yourself as a broken sinner without hope. Because it is only then It is only then 
that the Lord will save you. He puts his love in you. But it's not just to stay there. It's to grow. And it's to produce the fruit of loving one another. It's to take away fear. It's to give you power to conquer the things of this life and sin in your own life. It's to give you the strength to be obedient to God and His Word. They asked Jesus what the great commandments were. The first commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. What's the second one? Love thy neighbor as thyself. If I gave my neighbor everything imaginable, if we somehow got a hold of some very wealthy person and, and uh, got their fortune and began to just give it away to people. Would that be love? Not necessarily. But if we took the priceless eternal love of the eternal God and take it to the world in which we live, are we not allowing the Spirit to produce the fruit of love in our hearts. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would take to heart, that we would get serious about the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God being active in our lives. Lord, though we cannot make the fruit reach maturity We do not have the ability to bear the fruit. The fruit belongs to the Holy Spirit. It's produced by Him. Yet He wants to do it in our lives. Lord, would you give us the grace to think on these things. To maybe look up other verses in the Bible on the word love. And to ask the Holy Spirit of God to grow that fruit in our lives. Lord, we ask you to work in this time of invitation.